we are going to um, read verses six through six or six through fifteen. Excuse me, and uh, we will get into the teaching. Here we go. I'm looking for the tissues. Okay. Well, I'm going to read with you verse six through six or fifteen, and we'll get into the teaching together. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost or the chief city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. They attended harvest. No. <laughs> to the riverside where, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And Father, as we look at this passage, as we look at these verses speaking of, well, Lord, the direction of your Holy Spirit as, as these men were directed, as you used them to preach your word, as we see salvation taking place, Lord, we pray that your same Holy Spirit who spoke then will speak to our hearts today. Lord, that he would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, that we would be given understanding. And Lord, with that understanding, the wisdom and, and discernment to know how to apply these truths that enter into our hearts today, to our lives. How we're to act, how we're to think, how we are to respond to you. So God, have your way with us. Thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, as we looked at the first five verses of this chapter, we, we saw that as Paul and Silas had begun their journey, uh, this, of course, is Paul's second missionary journey. And as they began this journey, they came to Derby and Lystra. They found a young disciple named Timothy, a name that, that we see uh, 
in a number of places in the New Testament, especially, of course, here in the book of Acts, uh, and also as a recipient of two letters from the Apostle Paul. He joined them in this uh, ministry. Uh, he uh, got circumcised in order to have an openness to minister to uh, the, the, the Jews that they would come in contact with. Of course, he, he himself uh, being a Jew, his mom being Jewish, his dad being Greek, but according to Jewish law, because his mom was Jewish, that made him Jewish. He had not yet been circumcised. He became circumcised to be able to minister to the Jews that they would come into contact with because they would see him as apostate having not been circumcised. And so he did that for the sake of the gospel for the sake of ministry. And guys, that, that, that shows us something in terms of, you know, the way that the importance of the gospel is to take precedence in our lives. And, and we do things for the sake of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, they went through the cities, and uh, as we saw in verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now we see in verse 6, we see that, that they begin to uh, uh, continue on this second missionary journey. I want to put a map up on the screen. Now you guys probably have a map something like this at, at, in the back of your Bible, perhaps. Uh, you've probably seen this map of the second journey of the Apostle Paul. I'm not sure how well you can see it. We've got, you guys have probably noticed we've got bigger monitors in here, right? You like these bigger monitors? Need a bigger one for this map, huh? <laughs> but, but you'll see there that the, the journey started in uh, Antioch of Syria over in the far right. Then they go up, uh, up the... Um, I'll just kind of come over here and point, point to, to it for you guys. Right over here, Antioch, there's an X there. You guys can't see the X from there. I can from here. Um, they come up to Tarsus, over to Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and then to Antioch, Pisidia, and then up through Galatia and over to Troas. You see that? They, they wanted to go to Asia, just to the west. They couldn't, the spirit wouldn't let them. We'll be talking about that in just a minute. And then they wanted to go north to Bithynia. See, Bithynia is up there on the top. Uh, that's up there by the Black Sea. The Spirit wouldn't let them go there, so they just went northwest, up by Mysia and over to Troas, which is a seaport over there. Now, I wanted you to see this, just get a feel for what's going on. It, this all took a while to happen. You know, they're, they're traveling by foot. It's not like they can go to the airport and grab a plane and be there in a couple hours. You know, it was more like several weeks, at least. To, to do this. But, but we see here that they, they, uh, they, they had gone uh, um, through the area of Phrygia and the region of Galatia. Galatia is, is that area where they were with Derby and Lystra and so forth. That's in southern Galatia. And going through there uh, uh, and wanting to head west, we see there that in verse 6 that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia which is interesting, which tells us that we may have a plan in our own hearts to preach the word to somebody, 
and the Holy Spirit might say no. For some reason, he knows things that we don't, right? And we would re react by saying, what? No, that, that, that can't be the Holy Spirit saying, no, of course I'm supposed to share the word with people. There's some people who are not yet ready to hear it. So we have to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Now, they then want to go north to, to uh, Bithynia, and we see it in verse 7, but the Spirit did not permit them. Some translations say the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. In either case, we see the Holy Spirit twice telling them, closing the door, don't go here to preach the word, because he wanted to direct them somewhere else. You know, uh, and that, that's, that's one of the things. If the Lord ever says no, especially to something you know God wants you to do, we are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others around us, right? And there may be times that, that, that we, like I said, we have somebody in mind, and, and the Lord just tells us no somehow. Now, we're not told here how this message got across to them that they were not to go to these places. The Holy Spirit does not direct Luke to write that in, in, in this book of Acts. And so we're left wondering, well, exactly what happened? Anything we might say is just pure conjecture. But in our own lives, we can kind of understand perhaps maybe something that happened. You know, um, maybe the Holy Spirit gave a word through prophetic utterance. Paul and Silas were both prophets. The Holy Spirit could have just simply spoken through them. No, we're not supposed to go there. Or maybe somebody got sick. Maybe there's, there were some legal issues as they enter into different areas and, 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 and different uh, uh, regions and so forth, crossing boundaries and things of that nature. Um, we, we, don't really, we really don't know exactly what happened and how the Holy Spirit said no. But guys, something that is so essential for us is for us to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say, uh, especially in regard to sensing that there's some trouble doing something that God wants us to do. Now, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just simply say, you know, the enemy doesn't want us doing this. We're just going to push through. But is it the enemy trying to prevent us from doing what God wants us to do? Or is it God saying, no, I want you to go a different direction? Right? You guys ever face that issue? I would say all of us do from time to time, right? How do we know if it's the Spirit saying no, or if, the whole, or if it's um, the devil saying no? How do we know? Well, there are some things that we can do to help us to understand. But one of the things, though, 
as we do see that the Lord closed the doors in verse 6 and 7, we see that in verse 8, they go to Troas, as we, as we saw on the map, it, you know, it, it's a coastal city. It's, it's the, uh, uh, there, there's a port there. And it was there that the Lord gave direction, as we read in verse 9. Paul receives a vision. Whenever the Lord closes a door, he does indeed open another door. So, so we have to be asking those questions. Because it is true that the enemy does not want us doing God's will. There is spiritual warfare. But it is also true that we'll receive direction from the Lord in this way. And we just need to be asking him. Guys, if we are praying for direction constantly, if we are asking the Lord to send us to someone to share the gospel. And I would encourage you guys, every morning, wake up that way, praying, Lord, be with me, open some doors. I want to share your truth with people. I want to share your love with people. I, I, I want to be used by you in the lives of people who need you. Give me some direction. You guys think he might answer that prayer? You know, if we come to a door that seems like a door of opportunity and we begin to shove it open, let's not push too hard. Let's just see if it opens for us. If there's resistance at that point, we have to ask the Lord, is this you closing the door? Or is it our enemy preventing me from doing what you want me to do to walk through that door. Which is it? You think God will answer that prayer? He will. He wants you to go where he wants you to go. He's able to make you go where he wants you to go. He's able to tell you which direction to go. He'll answer the prayer. Don't be so persistent that you wind up using a battering ram to open up a door that he has shut. By the way, we see in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through the first part of verse 8, these things. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, this is Jesus speaking to John to write a letter to the seven churches there in, in Asia. Which, by the way, that area of Asia that, that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul and his team from going to, uh, there in verse 6 is the same area where those seven churches of Revelation are from. They're in that area. You know, those uh, uh, churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis. Thyatira, the very area that Lydia was from, which is interesting because so, we see here this missionary team wanting to go to Asia, Thyatira being a major city in that area, they would have gone there. But was it maybe because this woman that God had been working on wasn't there? 
she had gone over to Philippi. And God says, no, I want you there. Was it just for this one woman? Maybe. We do know that there were open doors in Philippi, and Lydia winds up being the very first European co uh, convert to Jesus Christ. That's pretty huge right there. Open the door to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ on the continent of Europe. We'll talk a little bit about more, uh, a little bit more about that in just a, a, a few minutes. But that's where God wanted them to go. So uh, uh, a few other cities there: Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae was there as well. So major areas, God just said no. But it was for a different time. That would happen later. Right now, it's obvious that God wanted them to go to Philippi because there was ministry to do there, as we see in, in the rest of this chapter. Again, back to, back to Revelation 3. You guys thought I was going to forget to go back here, right? Um, in chapter 3, verses 7, to the first part of verse 8, again. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Now, it's a good thing for us to know and to remember that Jesus opens doors and he shuts them. A door that he opens, no one else can shut. A door that he shuts, no one else can open. And as Jesus says to Philadelphia, I set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. When he opens, up, when he opens a door for you, or for me, same thing. He's the one who opens doors that no one can shut. He's the one that shuts doors that no one can open. Let's remember that. But that can lead us to some confusion if we stop praying. Because we will think it's an open door when God is saying, no, I've shut it. I want you over here. We're thinking, no, it's open. Nobody else can shut it. And it's actually the Lord who has shut it. He hasn't opened it. We've got to seek the Lord through prayer. He will guard, excuse me, he will guide, I mean, I meant to say, our hearts and our minds. Now, let's be careful, again, that we're not just forcefully opening doors that the Lord has shut before us. If we've prayed, we've got to believe that he answers the prayer. He'll open the door, and he'll show us. And we may have to wait. You know, it's like praying a prayer or something like, Lord, is, is this you closing the door? Am I to go in a different direction? Or is that the enemy who's just trying to keep me from walking through that open door? Show me. And wait until he shows you. He will. 
We don't pray to an unresponsive God, do we? Right? We don't pray to an unresponsive God. He responds to our prayers. He'll show you. But we have to wait. We have to trust that he'll show us, look for his answer, and allow him to show us. He shows us in different ways. This reminds me of a number of years ago. This would have been, well, it would have been 31, 32 years ago. Uh, before uh, the Lord brought uh, my honey and I up here to Upland to, uh, to plant this church, uh, we were with Pastor David in, in Calvary Chapel, Ontario at the time, uh, at, the, at the end of 1992. Uh, we actually moved into the bu- uh, uh, property there in, in Chino, and the name was changed to Chino Valley. But during that year, it was 1992, so this was 31 years ago, you know, I had shared with Pastor David uh, what... I and, and, and my honey believed that God had called me to as a, as a uh, pastor teacher. And, um, you know, when, when I shared that with, with, uh, with David, he uh, got tears in his eyes. Um, not because I was going to leave. I think he was probably glad to see me go. <laughs> um, I'm just playing. But... Um, he and I are the best of friends right now. We were, he and Marie and Jeanette and I have had a wonderful, wonderful uh, relationship over the years. But um, his eyes filled with tears because he knew that I did not know the difficulty and the sorrow and pain of being a senior pastor. Um, anyway... Um, we began to pray. Uh, Jeanette and I were fasting on every Monday. We, we were fasting, seeking the Lord for direction in terms of this thing, being a pastor, where. I had actually, I, 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 checked, in, I, I, I uh, checked in with uh, Calvary uh, Costa Mesa, and uh, they received calls from people in various areas that want that need a pastor, and I found out that there, there was a church that was not yet a Calvary Chapel that wanted to become a Calvary Chapel uh, up in, uh, it was up in the Humboldt County. Um, I can't remember which city it was in, but it was up there. Uh, and, and aside from that, there was a, a couple that we were going to church with, uh, the uh, Paul and Dina Fippen, who were from that area. They actually were our, our very first children's ministers in this church when we moved to Upland. Um, but uh, they were from that area. They said, you should go to, you should go to uh, Eureka. It's a beautiful city. And you know, all this they were sharing with us. And, and, and this, this other church was up there in that area. So I got in contact with them and was sending them things that they wanted. They wanted to know uh, where I stood on cer- certain topics and to hear a couple of teaching tapes and so forth. And... Uh, Bottom line is they didn't want me because, well, I think really my view on the Holy Spirit, Calvary Chapel's view on the Holy Spirit was something that they could not align themselves with. So it turns out that they really didn't want to be a Calvary Chapel. They just wanted to be, at that time, Calvary Chapel was uh, much more popular than it is today, you know, and and, and so they, they just didn't want that. Anyway, 
And we're, we're praying and fasting. We, we checked that out. That door closed. Um, we, we wound up going to Eureka uh, uh, with, with Paul and Dina's suggestion and how beautiful it is. And, and we got there. It was a... We got there on a day that it was um, very dreary and cloudy, and the air smelled really bad. They have a paper mill there, and paper mills can, well, not smell good, you know, and it wasn't, you know, we went to the old, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, Victorian home areas and stuff, which my honey loves, and it's like, well, it wasn't quite what we thought it was going to be. You know, and it's like, we've been praying and, you know, well, you know, th just the, 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 the smell and the way it looks, it's like, you know, I mean, does that mean it's a no? Not necessarily, you know, let's get rid of the flesh thing here, you know. But, you know, as we were there and just seeking, it just, it, it just didn't feel right, you know. The first impression is bad enough. We have to work past that to continue to pray and it just didn't feel right, you know. Didn't feel like the Lord was calling us to that area. And so we came back down to SoCal, and the Lord had led me in thinking, well, okay, Upland or Claremont? That's what I, I sensed the Lord just putting this area in, in my heart. And we would pray, we would drive around, we would, you know, living in Chino as, as we did for so many years, we, we would drive up here and drive through Claremont and, and drive through Upland, and, and, and a college town always attracted me, you know, and, and I was really thinking Claremont, I mean, that was at the top of my list, but the Lord just directed us to Upland, why? Well, this is why. But I didn't know why at the time, you know. And, you know, something that we discovered was that there had been, after we decided Upland, we, held, we had our first uh, Bible study here in Upland. And re recently I've, I've talked about this, you know, that, that Thursday night when the, we had that huge rainstorm and everything, our, our first Bible study and, and all, which was, you know, the Lord just blessed tremendously. But after we began here, I discovered that there was a Calvary Chapel already that had been planted in Claremont several months earlier. I didn't know about that. Uh, Pastor Marco Alvarez, who's now home to be with the Lord, he's with him now. I didn't know, you know, and uh, that's the way the Lord works, you know. I mean, he, he will do that, you know, but we have to be willing to step through the door that he opens and willing to back off on the door that he closes, you know, that means we have to have a sensitivity to his spirit, but a willingness to do, a willingness to do it. You know, Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. If you and I are going to be led as God himself guides us with his eye, where do we need to be looking? To him. If I'm just simply busy looking at circumstances, I can't see his eye with which he wants to guide me. Is that right? 
those of you who are married or who have been married, you know what that means. Guys, you know when your wife gives you that look. <laughs> right? It's not exactly the same look, but it's the principle I'm getting at here. Now, we have to be looking into the Lord's face, meaning we have to be beholding Him. We have to be looking to Him. We need to be worshiping Him. We need to be bowing before Him, our eyes focused on Him so that He can guide us with that eye. Is that how this happened here in Acts 16? Could very well be. Maybe there was no word spoken. But as they worshiped the Lord, they just sensed this isn't where we're supposed to go. Right? I mean, it's that kind of thing. In the book that we got you guys a few months ago on the Holy Spirit, R.A. Tori, there's a chapter in that book, chapter 18, called The Holy Spirit Sending Men Forth into Definite Lines of Work. And, and he includes the, the, the thought of directing people who are not necessarily in ministry, just in our, in, our, in our daily lives and so forth. And he makes a point that God's Spirit is ready to guide us. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that God has given us His Spirit so that we can be guided by Him? We, that's, that's essential that we believe that. Otherwise, how can we be guided by him, right? We've got to believe that. But one of the sub-points in this chapter under that particular point is this. We must really desire to know God's way and be willing at any cost to do God's will. If you or I are not willing first to know God's way. And, and I, I think, I don't think that's the issue so much. I think most of us really want to know. But if we're not willing to do it, whatever the cost may be, we're not going to see His will. And aside from that, God knowing your heart, knowing my heart. If my heart is such that I'm not willing to do it, why would he give me the direction to begin with? And I believe that's, where it that's what it comes down to often. A person can pray for God's will, pray for his direction to do his, God's will, but not really be fully 100% committed to do it, whatever it may cost. Well, oh, I don't want to do that, Lord. I don't want to lose this relationship. I don't want to pay that cost. I don't want to risk my job. I don't, you know, I mean, a lot of things, a lot of reasons. But do we trust God enough if he directs us to go in a certain direction? Do we trust him to, enough to care for us, to take care of us, to do his will in other areas of my life as we go forward in that direction? Sometimes we just won't. I won't do that. Okay, then you'll never know what God wants for you. Right? Does that make sense? 
And I think that's a very valid point. And bottom line, it kind of works out this way. I think some people never discover what God's will is for their lives because they really don't want to know God's will for their lives in the sense that they don't want to do anything he may choose for us to do. Anything, in any direction that he may direct us to go. Because there's just some things we just won't do. Some things we just won't give up. And Jeanette and I talked many times about that experience in Eureka. And we came to believe that that whole experience was to get her heart in a place where she was willing to go wherever the Lord would lead us. And once we got that place where she was there, then he said, Upland. Didn't have to uproot, didn't have to move, you know, and the kids could stay in the same school, all that stuff. He said, Upland. I'm so glad he said that. I would not have, amen. I, I would not have the joy of, of ministering to you guys, to loving on you and the privilege of teaching God's word to you guys. So, you know, when God leads and directs, he does some really cool things. So, back over to this, this passage here. In verses um, 8 to 10, Nine in particular, we see this direction given. This man from Macedonia uh, appears in a vision to Paul. And in this vision, this man says, please come over to Macedonia and help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. So Macedonia, let's, can, we, can we put the map back up, please? Now Macedonia is... I showed you where Troy is, is, right? Then you see the blue marker going through the Aegean Sea on the north to Neapolis. That's not Macedonia. So it is the northern portion of Greece. Uh, Macedonia being the uh, uh, area in the north, Achaia being in the south. There in the north you see the cities of Philippi, uh, um, Thessalonica, Berea. Uh, we're going to see Paul and his team going there. Down in the south, uh, Athens and Corinth. Down there, we're going to see those cities visited on this missionary tour. But we see him going to Europe. And I don't think that Paul was interested in, you know, I need to get from the continent of Asia to Europe. You know, we need to bridge these two continents. That's not what he was thinking. He, he was just thinking, I just want to preach the gospel. And I, I do want to go to these areas. I want to go wherever God's sending me. And... and it could very well be he wanted to make it over there at some point in time, but not to bridge the continents, but in order to preach the gospel everywhere that God might send him. Well, they wound up going over there, of course, and in verse 10, after they had seen the vision, look at this, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. That might be kind of a slam dunk at this time, because the Holy Spirit had said no to Asia, no to Bithynia, then there's a vision saying, come to Macedonia. That had to be from the Lord. You know, there, there was no argument there. You know, um, there was no discussion, you know, with, 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 with anything in regard to, I mean, no, nobody had to ask 
Paul, if you ate too many bagels with cream cheese or anything like that, and just an indigestion kind of thing happening or waking him up. I mean, nothing like that. You know, he, he was just, it was a given that this was new direction that the Lord was giving. So immediately they sought to go there, as it says, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Not only are we called to share the gospel of Christ, to preach the gospel of Christ, obviously to live out the gospel of Christ before other people, but God will direct us in terms of which people in particular to speak to. And so we can, we can come to the same conclusion as we seek the Lord. He's called me to preach the gospel to this guy, to this woman, to, to this person in my family, whatever it may be. You know, God will give us that, that direction. So verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas... We ran a straight course to Samothrace. That, that's, a, that's an island there in the Aegean Sea. The next day they came to Annapolis, the port city of Philippi, which is 10 miles inland from uh, the coast. So they arrived there. Um, verse 12, they go to Philippi, the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. This is something that Paul would always do. He would go to the most important cities, the cities that had the most people living there, and had the most people coming through, doing business. Uh, that, that's where he would go. He wanted the greatest opportunity to speak to as many people as possible to share the gospel of Christ with them. So they went to this city. They were staying there for some days there, we see in verse 12. G. Campbell Morgan said this in regard to this entrance into Europe. He said, that invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but it was evidently in the mind of the Spirit. And John Stott wrote this, it was from Europe that in due course, the gospel fanned out to the great continents of Africa, Asia, North America, Latin America, and Oce Oceania, and so reached the ends of the earth. Historically, Europe has been the great continent of missions work. You know, uh, sending missionaries all over the world. It became something that we would do as Americans, and, and now there are people in other continents doing that here, sending missionaries here, because they see the um, downtrend in our culture in terms of faith in Jesus Christ and following the word of God. But a very, very important thing that took place. So they were staying there for a few days. Now, the Sabbath day came, verse 13. And, and we went out of the city to the riverside. Before we, we continue, notice that in verse 13 it says, we went out. Back at verse 10, now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Luke is now including himself as a member of this missions team. Obviously, in Troas, Luke met up with this missions team, and Paul 
and he agreed that he should be traveling with them there in Troas. And so we see we sought to go, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to him. So, so now we, we see the first of three different what we call we sections in the book of Acts. Those sections in which Luke, as the writer, the author of the book of Acts, we really should say the Holy Spirit is the author of the book of Acts, uh, obviously Luke writing it. But uh, the first section in which we see this, so uh, he, he comes and goes. He's with them a while, then he leaves them. He stays in various areas, and we'll see that as we, as we move forward through the book of Acts. So on the, on the Sabbath day, we went, out to the city of the, we, went, we went out to the city to the riverside, not to the city of Riverside, but out, to, uh, out of the city to the riverside, um, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who were there. First of all, we take note that Paul didn't do what he normally would do on a Sabbath day. What would he normally do? He'd go to the synagogue. Why didn't he go to the synagogue? There must not have been a synagogue. Uh, th that had to be the case. He would have gone. He states, and we w we've gone through this already, this was his practice. He, he would bring the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Even though he's called to the Gentiles, he'd bring, bring it to the Jews first. There was no synagogue there, which means there was a very small Jewish presence there in the city of Philippi. There, there was a requirement of 10 faithful Jewish men to allow them to actually build a synagogue. There could have been three or four, there could have been eight or nine, but there wasn't 10. So there was no synagogue. Uh, Paul found out that uh, there was a prayer meeting at, uh, uh, at, at the edge of the river there that, that is there by uh, Philippi, and there they met regularly. And so he went out there, and there was a group of women who met there praying. It's kind of, this, it's kind of still the same way. It, it, it seems that women's prayer groups are attended much more readily than men's prayer groups. Um, women seem to have this, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's more of... Uh, just the, just the way that women tick, just the way that women are made, they're, they're, they're more relational. They, they want to gather with others. They, they're, they're more relational in, even in their relationship with God. And we as men, we have to be taught stuff that women don't need to be taught because it comes automatically for them. Isn't that true? So the women were praying. Women were praying. You know, I mean, many things have been written about churches that, that ought to be led by women because they're the ones who are doing the praying, but the men are called to lead. So the men just asked the ladies, what do you want us to do? <laughs> yes, dear. You know, stuff like that, you know. Anyway, the women were praying, which I find interesting because it was a Macedonian man that called them to come to Macedonia to help them in the vision. Well, the women were there praying. 
a certain woman named Lydia from, Thya from Thyatira was there. She heard them, as we see in verse 14. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. So a Gentile woman who saw the God of the Jews as the God that she wanted to worship. and she So she was one of these God-fearers that we've seen earlier in the book of Acts. Or perhaps she had become a proselyte and actually became a Jewish woman, became Jewish in her faith. But she was one who was there by the riverside praying with other women at this prayer meeting. Um, Paul and Silas, Timothy, and Luke came to that riverside, were, 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 were meeting with them, and she worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, this is an important aspect of our faith. The Lord opened her heart. Now, one of the things with, with I, I want to touch on, on, on Lydia being a seller of purple. Uh, from Thyatira, which is a city which was known for making dyes, uh, the, the seller of uh, uh, a seller of purple in particular. There was a purple dye that came from some kind of a shellfish uh, in that area that they um, that they made the the, the the purple dye from, and 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 she was a seller of this purple, and, and it was a very expensive dye. You know, that, that's why purple is a color of royalty, because it's so expensive that only the wealthy can afford it. And so because only the wealthy could afford it, Lydia probably was pretty wealthy herself as a seller of this purple. She probably worked for a manufacturing facility in Thyatira, and was the agent for that company in this particular area. Uh, there, there are various inscriptions on tablets and so forth that confirm that in Philippi there was a guild of sellers of purple in that particular area. She was a part of that, obviously. And so, so she was a businesswoman, which was not real common in this day. F.F. Um, Bruce writes this, Women in Macedonia were noted for their independence. Moreover, under Roman law, which governed life in the colony, freeborn women with three children and freed women with four children were at this time granted a number of privileges, including the right to undertake legal transactions on their own initiative. So there was a freedom for her to do this in this particular area. As a worshiper, worshiper of God, she was there praying. Now, I mentioned that Thyatira was one of the seven churches in Revelation, they're, they're in Asia, that, that Jesus sent a, uh, a letter to. Now, Revelation was written some 50 years or so after these events here in Acts chapter 16. But I want to read a portion of the letter to Thyatira. This, of course, the church is not yet being, has not yet been formed in Thyatira at this point. A little bit later, that's going to happen. 
But look at this in Revelation 2, verses 18 to 23. Jesus said to John these words, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. When I read that this week, it was yesterday, in fact, I read this, and I thought, you know, I want to share this because this is a heavy, heavy letter that the Lord sends to this church in Thyatira. And the sins in particular are, is the, is, is the reality that they allowed this prophetess, this woman who called herself a prophetess, Jezebel, so, so there's this very evil connotation that is there, um, to teach the servants of Jesus to commit sexual immorality and to eat things that are sacrificed to idols. In this area of people claiming to be spokespersons for the gospel of Jesus Christ, spokespersons for God, teaching others to commit sexual immorality. Guys, the church in America is in bad shape. And Jesus says he is going to deal with these people. I gave her time. I have a few things against you because you allow a woman Jezebel. I gave her time to repent. She wouldn't. God, God deals with these things. God deals with these things. And those who are a part of the church in our country, in our culture, Great Britain, Europe, wherever it may be, who are teaching that sexual immorality is approved of by God, they will be dealt with. You guys believe that? You know, in many ways it causes us to cry out, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. He is faithful. He is just. But he's also patient. He allows time for repentance. And just in the same way he allows you and me time for repentance, he allows them also. Let's be praying. Let's be a witness for them. But God will do his work. Finally, we see here in this passage, in verse 
14, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. It is God who opens the heart, guys. You know, anybody can share the truth of the gospel with anybody else. There are people who call themselves evangelists. There are people who call themselves pastor, who are not anointed by the Holy Spirit. They have not even received the Holy Spirit because they do, do not really have the kind of faith, a saving faith in Jesus Christ, who give the Word of God. And yet the Word of God can do its work in the heart of someone who, who does have the Holy Spirit and can be taught by the Holy Spirit. Or you can have a person who is filled with the Spirit, has a gift of teaching, teaching the Word of God to someone, and that person doesn't have the Holy Spirit within themselves and it won't do any good because the Holy Spirit is not opening the heart. Or, the, or an evangelist, same kind of thing. Bottom line is, we need the Holy Spirit at work in the, in, in the giving of the message and in the receiving of the message. That God, by His Spirit, opened Lydia's heart to take heed, not just to understand, but to take heed. That means some response. To take heed to the things spoken by Paul. This word spoken, by the way, it's a word that doesn't speak about Paul was giving a, 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 a sermon in the synagogue. He was just having just natural conversation. That's what this means. And Lydia, Lydia's heart was opened by God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit has to do a work. John 16, 13 says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. You guys believe that? You guys think that somehow you could be brought to spiritual truth apart from the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's a, it's a part of his work. Even in the Old Testament, in, in Isaiah 50, verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Of course, meaning that he listened and responded. God opens the heart. He opens the ear. He opens the mind. Otherwise, we cannot understand. We cannot here, Luke 24, 32, this chapter about Jesus meeting the two disciples on the road to, uh, to Emmaus in, uh, in that verse. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? The scriptures cannot be opened to any heart apart from the work of God. Cannot. Cannot. A person can go to seminary and learn the Bible, but if he is not a spirit-filled, uh, born-again believer in Christ, the delivery is not going to be there. 
yet, if the word of God is taught and there is a believer in the, in the audience, he can learn because the Holy Spirit is within him or her. So it, it just takes a work of God's spirit. In Ephesians 1, 17 to 18, the first part of 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is, this is Paul under the guidance of the spirit praying for the church in Ephesus that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. I love these prayers at the end of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 3 from the Apostle Paul for the church in Ephesus. Such a pastoral heart. And I do pray these kinds of prayers for you guys just that the Lord will open your hearts, give you understanding, and give you the ability to practice these things that the Lord is making clear to you. Because it can't happen. You can want to do it, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't. And we see Paul also uh, writing uh, in Philippians chapter 3 that, that, that the Lord gives us the will and the ability to do the things that he would have for us to do. And so, it's all got to be the work of God. Now, in verse 15, we see that, that, that she and her household are all baptized. We have nothing mentioned about the household. Who was it? Well, it would have been her family and servants in the household. Did they receive the Lord? I mean, did, did uh, uh, Lydia go home and talk to them about what she'd been, they'd heard and go, that sounds great. Yeah, we want, we, we want this. We want this Jesus. Do we want the Messiah? Did they respond? We're not told that. The assumption would be that they did. And so they were baptized uh, along with Lydia. And then Lydia, she pressed herself in the sense of urging and convincing, persuading this missionary team now, we know it was four of them. Could have been more beside them that aren't mentioned. It's likely that there were probably a few more. But she just invited them to stay. The gift of hospitality at work. Opening her home, as, as we see here in verse 15. If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And that, that's, a, that's a persuasive way to speak because she's saying, if you don't judge me faithful, fine, don't come. <laughs> they didn't want to do that because she had just received the Lord. She had just responded to the gospel. And so they, they did uh, stay with her in, her in her house, which, again, is another sign that she probably was a woman of affluence, having a house large enough to host this missionary team along with the rest of her household. But the gospel... Entering in to Europe. Let's follow the lead of God. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Let's be praying that he speaks. Praying that he guides. Let's look for the guidance as it comes. Understanding that we can't do anything for Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit's work in us. Working through us. We just can't do it. We need him desperately. Amen. And Father, help us to do so. Be with us this day. Be with us as we seek your will. Lord, I pray for every heart in this room that truly there is this desire 
to not only know your will, but to do it. Understanding at times there are costs to us. There are costs to follow you in this world. This world which is contrary to you. This world which is against you. This world which, which hates you. Even Lord Jesus, as you tell us in John 15, if the, wor- if the world hates you, know this, that it hated me first. And Lord, we understand that as followers of you, as we name your name, the world hates us because of you, because we are aligned with you, because we are followers of you. We are your disciples. And so, Lord, train us up. Help us to hear your voice and to recognize it. Help us to become so acquainted with your voice as we seek you that we don't even have to ask the question, is that you or is that some other voice? Help us, God, we pray. And fill us with your spirit to not only know your will, but to do it. Because you always, whenever you give direction, whenever you give a command, you always give us the ability to follow that direction, to follow that command. And so, God, thank you for that. Be glorified in it all. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.